You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Um, just telling Andrew, um, I think I'm in the middle of calling an audible from the line here. Um, uh, so I was thinking about this last night um, and this morning. Um, may make this kind of a basically a two. We'll see how it goes. Maybe a two-parter and finish it next week. I was uh, going to go into, and certainly we will before all everything is said and done. Um, another one of the climactic stories um, in the Jacob narrative, it was be called. Um, Genesis is really broken up into different parts. I mean, it's a great book. Um, just kind of being back in it this last month or so has sort of reinvigorated it for me. I remember how much I just enjoy it because it's it's just, well, the first part, the, the creation and fall story is really sort of its own unit. And then um, Cain and Abel, which is what we looked at the first week, and then going through um, some of the beginnings of the genealogy and then the flood and the Tower of Babel. Uh, and that sort of ends 11. And all of a sudden, we looked at um, the, the beginning of the Abraham narrative, as you'd say, in, in Genesis 12, where suddenly, out of nowhere, as it were, God speaks at the beginning of, of, uh, of chapter 12. And then it's the story, the narratives of the patriarchs, um, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then really moves to Joseph. And, and certainly going to move to the, the, uh, the climax of... The Jacob story. Um, I don't know if we'll do that today or starting it today and getting it to next week or maybe I'll be next week. And that's, of course, where he wrestles somebody. God, an angel, a man, a dark figure. Um, uh, all that is where it comes up. And it's a, it's a, it's a great example of, of just a story in, uh, in this and the power of every word. It's only 10 verses long. It's Genesis 32, 22 to 32. So it's a really easy thing even to hold in your head. Um, but, uh, but, but shaping. I mean, a powerful story on its own and the economy of words um, uh, is, uh, is in fact moving, I think. Um, so calling an audible from the line as I was thinking about doing that, I was like, you know, we really need to get into Jacob. So I think what we're going to do is at least just kind of go through the beginning of, of Jacob's line and, and kind of uh, his story and kind of walk that way. So a lot of interaction, the opportunity here, because we're going to Bible hop a little bit and like 25, 27, 28, that sort of thing. So with all that, I was really waiting to see if else was going to sort of barge in, um, but let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, for this day, we give you thanks. Um, speak now your word and uh, allow it to do its work um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are in this short series, um, extended a little bit. I'm going to do it next week and maybe even the week after. It kind of depends on some things. I'm here on the 27th. Uh, but looking at, um, at some snapshots in Genesis, um, look the first week, capture a little bit of where we've been. Um, primary text was Cain and Abel, um, the first sons, um, the, the first uh, uh, progeny of Adam and Eve, the first people created by God. Um, uh, so then we had to go back to the first three, four verses in Genesis, Genesis 1, 2, 3, uh, Genesis 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, that at the beginning, in the beginning, there was God, period. And that's something to really sort of let the weight of that fact, of that 
of that word press in on us? Just to hold that, that in the beginning, God. So somehow, even before the beginning, because the story begins where? At the beginning? But God pre-existed the beginning. That's metaphysical. It's a little bit of like, wow, you know, call that animal house moment and all that. There's a couple of those in this. Um, that you reckon with the fact, the mystery of all, that somehow God, who is without beginning, is also without end, because then you begin to appreciate what nothing means. Because in the beginning, God, who pre-existed beginning, was already there, and as it were, he observed nothing. And then you sort of let that even press in, sort of an animal house moment again. That's probably an inappropriate comment, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, that it is it is difficult to conceive actually and absolutely of nothing, as if nothing, I mean vacuum, total void. It's this almost theoretical reference point that we, we create in the sciences to describe the existence of no matter, not even a quark, an atom, nothing. Um, And in the beginning, God, who was already there, uh, looked at the cosmos, and it it was nothing. It was formless and void. And then God did what? He spoke. And the division of nothing into something is the weight of the beginning of, of, of Genesis. And that is a primary theme, that God speaks and creates from nothing and creates something um, that is a primary theme that is then continued throughout all of the scripture all the way to the end of the scripture where it starts there and the bookend is when there is something and that's fallen humanity uh, that when he speaks finally for the last time then all things and all manner of things as it were preexisted the beginning now he's going to call things to its end and then at the end of things Something like, as C.S. Lewis would call it, the eternal now begins um, in that place without time, in that place without, um, well, as Doug Webster said a few months ago in a class, which has really stuck with me, where now the entire orientation of existence, the bios of life, the bios of zoe, if you want to really play in the Greek, um, two words for life, bios being biology, sort of the actual corpuscular Um, uh, movement of life which is built on death ours is um, because of the fallenness of of, uh, because of what happens at the beginning of Genesis now that's reversed and there's a whole new axis uh, where now it is a a zoe of life where now it's something wholly new and different where things aren't in decay and entropy and moving towards um, an annihilation, as it were, of a circle of life, you know, where things just sort of ashes to ashes and dust to dust and you all sort of fall apart. Um, but now something entirely different where there is a, 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 a new atom, a new heaven, a new earth. Behold, I am making all things new. And now just like you have the weight of God before beginning and the weight of nothing at the end of the story, you have the weight of whatever that means. Behold, amen, I am making. So there's that particular word again we also learned in Genesis where, where God creates and it's a word that's only for himself. It shows up again where he's now doing something that only God can do. You know, I make pottery. I make music. I make uh, uh, whatever it is. Um, God doesn't. He creates from nothing. 
there's, there's, you know, a potter takes the clay. Well, he had to have the clay. <laughs> um, God creates the dirt. God creates faith. God creates from nothing, and 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 you weigh into that, and then you feel new, a whole new orientation. No longer an axis, a bios of death, but now a zoe of life. So all that comes in, and we hear in the first words, uh, the first, um, the firstborn who is of Adam and Eve is killed by his brother. Um, and it's also the first word of justification that without this word, this gospel, the one that Zach was speaking of, in fact, uh, without that, the world is death and darkness. What was there at the beginning of Genesis. Uh, and as Cain killed Abel, and he began to, because this is going to be very Jacob, to call the judgment on himself. He says, I'm not worthy to live. And the Lord interrupts and says, not so. It's that word of interruption where it's now the Lord's word which creates reality. Um, and it says, nope, there will be life. Now, there's consequences to the, to the murder, et cetera, and so forth. But God's first word of keeping death and darkness at bay, um, it's that word of God that speaks and interrupts and creates reality. So that was Cain and Abel. And then we moved to... Um, Last week, the story, we may go back there too. Um, no, we've got a little bit more time. We have some more time. Uh, interacted with a lot of art last week um, with the story of the sacrifice, what it's usually called the sacrifice of, of Isaac, um, the near sacrifice of Isaac, the testing of Abraham, whatever you want to call it. Uh, looking at that, trying to find out where the, the hand of God was and, and uh, the different ways, the sort of the glory of the sacrifice versus the, the horror of the sacrifice, and really sort of let the the feeling of that story, the pathos, the the, the suffering of that story, um, find its root, um, uh, which takes us in some ways to where we are today. Because that little boy, the 14-year-old or so, the 12-year-old, who was taken up uh, Mount Moriah um, after three days, um, asking his father Abraham, "Where's the?" Where's the animal, Dad? Um, you know, I see the the wood. I'm carrying the fire. We've got everything. You've got a knife. We've got everything we need to kill an animal and have a burnt offering and offer it to God. But where's the uh, where's the lamb? And he says the Lord will provide. Um, and so they go up, and and he sure enough, did. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we may look at that and interact with the text a little bit more. That brings us to Jacob. So let's turn. Um, any comments on that so far? A lot of y'all have been in both classes, I know. Now we're kind of continuing. Any any thoughts on where we've been and what I just said? We've got a little bit of space here, I think. Um, well, if you have a Bible and you'd like to sort of follow along, um, turn to Genesis 25. Um, uh, just to remember, um, kind of flipping backwards, uh, to 21, Isaac is born, uh, and then quickly in verse in chapter 22, Isaac is born to, to Abraham and Sarah, uh, and then in 22, just the next chapter, um, we go to the uh, to the testing of Abraham, the near sacrifice of Isaac, and then Sarah dies, um, uh, but then Rebecca is found for um, as a wife for uh, for Isaac. Uh, they uh, picks up there in 20. I guess it is, um, in chapter 24, which now leads us to chapter 25, where the twins, as Rebecca was barren, but then again the Lord speaks and opens her womb, so there's that creative word, the dependence upon the word of God, um, 
as 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 the word speaks and and impacts Rebecca. You pick it up there in verse 19, where Esau and Jacob, the twins, the, the twins that struggle, um, that Israel is then born from. Jacob's going to become Israel. We'll see that later in verse 20, in chapter 20. Uh, uh, in chapter 32, after the wrestling match. But here, from the very beginning, this is why we had to go back here, we see that Jacob is a struggler. He's a swindler. He's a liar. He's a cheat. And he's a heel grabber. Um, names, obviously, well, not obviously, names mean a lot in the Old Testament. We lose it because they don't always convey exactly what it is. Jacob's a really nice, respectful name now, and that's great. Um, I thought about this this morning. I was like, what if somebody named Jacob shows up in here? Um, but like, i got to tell you, I'm really sorry about your name. Because what does it mean? It means it's, it's, got a, it's got this double, triple, quadruple entendre. I don't do Hebrew very well, but there's all these different plays with the name. But it means certainly at once two things. It means heel grabber, he who grabs at the heel. Not a very nice thing. Always sort of, you know, just what it feels like. Um, uh, always chasing for position because you're never quite there. Always behind, always grabbing at the heel, always down. And then also cheat or liar or deceiver, the swindler. So you marry those two things. The one who's always chasing, you could really bleed in here. It'd be easy to look at a sibling rivalry and inferiority complex, etc. and so forth, where Esau, the firstborn, and Esau means what? Harry, but not H-A-R-R-Y, but I-R-Y. King James and nails it. So for Esau was an hirsute man. That's where you get your S-A-T word out of there. So hirsute means Harry. Um, uh, where he comes out red um, and already covered with hair, and then grabbing onto his heel comes Jacob. And so they name the sons that. But listen to what the prophecy is about them. So picking up in 19, um, oh, let's go down to say... 22. The children struggled within her, um, the two twins, Jacob and Esau. So right from the beginning, there's struggle. And the climactic story in, in Jacob's life is going to be struggle. Struggle when he's alone in the Jabbok. Sounds like Jacob, the Jabbok River. Uh, he's going to struggle with God or the angel. Or at the beginning, all we know is a mysterious dark figure. I think the best way to describe it is an it. He struggles with it. And we don't know who it is until the end of the story. So at the beginning of the story, the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? And so she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. And the one shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all of his body like a hairy cloak, and they called him his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. And the boys grew up. Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved, es- Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So a couple thoughts here at the very beginning. Um, remember back in 12 uh, the Lord lined up where he spoke out of that out of nowhere as it were 
And he said, Abram, um, here I am, Lord. Um, I am going to use your children to create a messianic line. Um, from you, as an old man, and your wife, an old woman, a dead womb, I am going to bring the life for my people, which I shall call Israel. Um, uh, that was the promise that was then carried over. And it took 25 years before that child of promise, Isaac, was born. And now the grandson of that promise is still in that line where God takes outside the, the norm, outside the way it usually goes, uh, and chooses who he wants to choose. That's why it's important. It says, the older shall serve the younger. A repeated theme. Um, estate planning for much of history has been sort of held under what's called primogeniture. Um, anybody know what that means? It just means the firstborn son. It's kind of a winner-take-all system. It sounds harsh to us. Most of the time we like to divide it evenly amongst our children and all that. Why'd they do that? In order to keep the land, which would be wealth, and the, the cattle, um, the, the livestock, which would be wealth, in in uh, in the family line, um, you would then be able to keep your position, your status. If you kept breaking it amongst your eight children, sixteen children, you can see how your capital would be then distributed, and in two or three generations, everything would be wiped out. There'd be no um, there'd be no status. That was especially true, say in like the medieval times or whatever. Uh, where the firstborn son would get everything. And what did that leave? The secondborn son, the thirdborn son, the fourthborn son. What did they do? I mean, it worked out pretty well. They were then marked for service in the church or in the military. And so the, the, the subsequent sons of nobility weren't just sort of cast away. They were just marked for a whole different vocation. And that's why Thomas Cramner, for instance, was a secondborn son. His firstborn got the estate, and so history received from uh, the providence of God um, uh, that uh, the church received Thomas Cramner. As, um, that's just one example. Um, anyway, I'm all over. So primogeniture is the, the normal way, but the Lord speaks. And what does he say? He says, the second, the heel grabber, the deceiver, the cheat, the liar, he will be the one. He's the son of the promise. He's the grandson of the promise. It's through Jacob, not Esau. And so we normally think of Jacob as the deceiver, but it's the sin of Isaac. Because what does Isaac do? He hears the word, the prophecy given from the Lord to Rebekah. That's true. But then Isaac prefers his firstborn son. Isaac prefers um, Esau because he's a man's man. What does he do? Well, he's a skillful hunter and he's, he's impetuous, he's impulsive, and he... Uh, he spits to anger and rage, and you know he's a man's man, so he's great. Um, uh, and Isaac ignores the prophecy, and now the struggle begins. That's just the background to the struggle. It comes right out. You see all this, and then the uh, the famous little story, which is still so strange, that Esau sells his birthright. And when Jacob is back cooking stew, back with his mom Rebecca, Rebecca preferred Jacob. Uh, she's as conniving as Jacob is. Esau comes in from the field and was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name shall be called Edom, which also means red. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. You know, immediately saw the opportunity as a heel grabber to increase his position. Uh, and he says, what use is, I'm about to die, I'm so hungry. What's the use of a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. 
So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And Esau despised his birthright. Um, well, he despised his birthright, but it was also in the beginning of the ordering of the election of God to prefer the younger over the older. So all that just sort of sets up the tension. God's promise is renewed to Isaac, and then there's another interlude with Abimelech, who was the same figure that Isaac's dad, um, Abraham, had to deal with. And then um, we'll probably spend the most time here. Interact anywhere you want. We now Isaac blesses Jacob. Here, um, it sounds like Ouija. It sounds like magic. It sounds like a mechanistic sense, because we know the story. So I'm going to tell you what it is, then we're going to read it, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, the story goes that that Jacob dresses up because Rebecca says do this and he says yes ma'am dresses up like his brother Esau and it's Esau's clothes and he puts on mitts kind of because Esau's so hairy so now he feels hairy puts on his clothes because Isaac can't see I used to think that was funny I was like there's no way that could happen well I'm not in readers yet but if I don't have my contacts on I'm like Margaret Caroline I mean which one are you come here let me see you you know I got to smell them I mean I get it I get it uh, he needs to see him and smell him. Uh, and Jacob, the swindler, the liar, the deceiver, the cheat, the heel grabber, dresses up at his mom's bidding uh, in Esau's clothes to receive the blessing, the word from the father to the son. Isaac's about to die. He's getting his house in order. And he says, I want to give you this. And we think he can't take it back. There's a different reckoning that's going on. Where I think now, just like um, in 32, we're going to see Jacob meeting God face to face. I think this is Isaac's encounter with the living God and his living word. Because we're going to hear that Isaac, after he realizes that he's been swindled, he shakes violently, the word says. Here's the difference. Read it. My first thought was, he's just mad because his son got a bandage of him. I don't think that's it. I think Isaac shakes violently because he trembles at the holiness of God. He recognizes that he fought God, and God's always going to win. And it came around where is a reckoning of like, I submit, I yield. How can I fight the word that holds back death and darkness all the way back to Genesis 1-3? And in that moment, he says, who was it that came in? He has my blessing, and yea, he shall be blessed. And it's not Ouija. It's just a reckoning that this is the way it is, because God said so. So that's the story. Let's read it, because it's a good story. Um, yeah, let's just read the whole chapter. Um, chapter 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, and that my soul may bless you before you die. Remember, what is blessing? Here's the way I take on blessing. Um, Blessing is a relational word. There is no blessing absent a relationship. It doesn't exist in that, that nothing It always has to exist in something. It has to exist as something between two. So that's why we can bless the Lord, the Lord can bless us, and we can bless one another because it's relational. And then what happens when things are blessed? 
clarity. Suddenly, all of our self-justification efforts, all of the heel-grabbing, all the positioning, all of the deceiving, all of the lies, the cheats, the minimizations, the maximizations, whatever sort of psychological language we're going to put on anything else, all that gets cleared and we behold, aha! And you might shake a little bit because you're like, whoa, where I am standing is holy ground, as Moses would say, when he received the blessing at the burning bush. Um, that's what's going on here, where he wants to reaffirm the blessing as the, uh, as the grandson of the promise um, from uh, Isaac to Esau. Um, that was the intention, but it wasn't going to be a blessing. It couldn't be a blessing because it wasn't going to be what actually was. And so that's the background where it comes in because blessing is a huge word. Jacob's life, if you want to write a narrative, what's... What's his pursuit? It's the pursuit of the blessing. He gets it when he struggles with the it, who, be, who we, uh, we realize is God, um, uh, the blessing. So now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. And so Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. And Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son... Obey my voice as I command you. Uh, go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, and I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am smooth. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. And so he went and took and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. And then he went into his father and said, My father... And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Smelling something was up. And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done what you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found, me so, have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. And Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and he said, Are you really my son Esau? I am. And he said, Bring him near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let the people serve you and the nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. That's the word. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And then he's out of there. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob had scarcely gone out from his presence, from Isaac, his father. 
And then Esau came in from his hunting. And he also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And then Isaac trembled very violently. There's the word. And said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it before you came? And I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. That was the reckoning. That was the blessing of Isaac, as it were. Not a way that we normally think of that. Not as a feels good, he now has wealth or prosperity. It's a clarity of the way things are. Suddenly, and it caused this trembling, a violent trembling, when Isaac realized that he had been striving against God his entire life, preferring the older to the younger, when God said, you shall prefer, I shall prefer, um, that's Paul's language about Esau and Jacob, I shall prefer the younger over the older. Uh, And now, what do you think? Esau being a man's man, prone to impulsivity and violence and fits of rage, where does he go? Uh, uh, As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even also my father. All of us would say it was a it was a it was a bogus contract. You were totally deceived. Anybody would say, of course, of course it was. I'll, you know that 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 blessing doesn't stand. If that were a human word, it would be a bogus contract. But Isaac knows what's true, and he can't do it. Um, Esau said, "Is it not rightly named Jacob? He has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright with the soup, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing." And then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all of his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even also my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And as Isaac, his father, answered him and said, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling. Your dwelling shall be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from his neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. The narrative continues, where now it's the pursuit of uh, where Jacob's a man on the run um, and the swindler gets swindled. He goes to his uncle Laban and he says, oh, your daughter is beautiful. I want, I want, um, I want Rachel. Uh, and then he says, okay, you know, work seven years for, for my daughter. So he didn't name the daughter. This is Laban. Um, and so he works seven years. At the end of the seven years, he's coming, okay, I worked for seven years. Let me have Rachel. Here's my daughter. Well, it's the uncomely one, as it says. It's Leah. Uh, wakes up the next morning. He's like, this isn't Rachel. And he's like, oh, sorry, forgot. So work for him for another seven years and you can have Rachel. So the swindler gets swindled by Laban. Sets up more of the story. It goes forth. He works, I think it's a week, and then he gets to marry uh, Rachel as well. So now he's got Rachel and Leah. Uh, He and Laban have this tension. Jacob's a man on the run from his brother Esau. Uh, Then... If I remember the stories, then, uh, well, this is good. Then it comes into um, 
flip over to chapter. Uh, where's the ladder? Um, go to chapter 28, where um, Jacob has the dream. And you normally think of. I need to close this up. Um, normally think of Jacob's ladder. You know, his angels going up and down. It's our stairway to heaven, etc. and so forth. And Jacob's ladder always comes down. The Lord only comes down. Um, we don't ascend to heaven. He comes down. Uh, but Jacob. The grabber, the positioner, what does he do? He prays, but he prays a very human prayer. He prays a prayer that I would pray. He says in verse 15, uh, I'm sorry, 16, And Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Um, For he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And then in verse 20, um, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. What did he just say? (laughs) Quid pro quo. You scratch my back and then I'll scratch yours. He is absolutely still grabbing at the heel of God, trying to play God, trying to do the very human work of saying, if he'll bless me, if he'll give me wealth, if he'll give me prosperity, if he'll let me live as now I'm hated by two men that want to kill me, if he'll put me through all that, yeah, I'll let him be my God. And that sets up the, the, the battle that will come next week in Genesis 32, where um, Jacob realizes that he thought all of his life, his problem was Esau. His problem was his brother. His problem was his dad. He thought, you know, if only I didn't have him, if only I didn't have her, if only, if only this, if only that, if only my life had what I think was missing, then I would be okay. And when Jacob is all alone, after he sends everything away, the Lord does business, as it were, with Jacob. And he reckons, nope, all of that was a lie. I had, I assigned at the very beginning, the Appalachian enemy to the wrong person. I thought my enemy was my brother, or maybe my father. My enemy was God. God was after me. Um, and then they wrestle all night long. And it's a great denouement that comes out. Um, so we'll pick that up next week. Any comments on that or thoughts? just want to set up Jacob's story because to appreciate his swindler place, his heel-grabbing, position-grabbing, lying, cheating way. Um, you have to have that to really appreciate what goes on in 32. Yeah. Yes? I find it so difficult to understand why God favored Jacob. You and me both. That's Paul confronts it straight up in, uh, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, using them as an example. I think it's in Romans 9. In some ways, with the uncomfortable sense of, of a word, as it were, it says, let me be God, because I will, um, uh, what's the word there in 11? I will consign all men to disobedience, that I may have mercy on all. Um, is it not mine, as a potter, to make some uh, pots for noble use and some for ignoble use? Um, that's where we plead the mercy and grace of God to say, you are God and I am not. Without you and your word, 
death and darkness. Uh, that's all I know. You have promised light and life to all who call upon you. So I guess what we're saying is that he chose Jacob, but then we see all Jacob's sinfulness and humanness. Absolutely. God uses him. Yep, there's no quality. There's no choosing of Jacob because he's somehow better than Esau. If anything, it's the opposite. The emphasis is on what a liar, what a cheat, what a heel grabber. And it's through that brokenness, through that lying, that my grace will be glorified. It's an uncomfortable word. Yeah, Ed. But you see that Isaac's true character came out when he realized he'd been swindled. He then became the murderer. He wanted to murder his son. That's right. Yep, yep. And Jacob is going to give in to God. So that's... Yep. That all, all, along. all along. So, yeah, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, when they pass off their beautiful wives as their sister, you know, twice, three times, I think it was. Uh, they're murderers, they're connivers, they're cheats, they're liars, um, they're heel grabbers, they're positioners. Even as Jacob knows that, look, I'm the second born son, um, and I still enjoy the fruits of the promise. And it's not enough. I mean, so it's. That's again where all of Scripture, but certainly Genesis, is not saying, here's the example. Follow these men. If you do what these guys did, you're going to be okay. That is not at all what the Bible is about, or at least what Genesis is about. It's not saying, like, let's all go out and be Jacob. Let's don't, okay? That's a better <laughs> idea. We'll have a better week if we don't go out and be Jacob. Um, so, But I'm married. Go back to you. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, there's just a place of... a. I plead the mercy of God. It says, you you are God and I am not. Um, be the author and the perfecter of the faith of those whom I love. And be merciful, Lord. Please be merciful. Um, and he works. He works in a hidden way. And that's what we're going to see next week too. And so there's hope. That's a word I really want to sort of pull out of that word. Is, is a, There is in fact hope and not a burden that we need to expect ourselves or other people that we love that we might have in mind. Uh that they need to show up and be the right people so that God will love them. That's, again, the folly of Jacob's quid pro quo prayer at the end of his his dream. So let me pray. Lord, this was a, uh, well, whatever it was, Lord, this this crossover to, um, through your word, uh, glancing at several parts um, uh, towards the the, the climax next week of of the, the, the... the struggle at the Jabbok. Uh, speak, Lord. Um, uh, let us be blessed um, and recognize with clarity who you are and who we are and then plead your promise uh, that, that you and your grace is sufficient for our needs. Um, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. See you next week. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.